Ryan, you there? I'm um, here. Yeah, he's not. Scott's connecting. Scott's connecting. Yeah, I think he's glitching. When he comes up, ask him how he feels to be a, a speaker. I think we should ask him that every day. Wait for him to get up. I wonder if we can't even get him up. Yeah, I've just sent him. I've just sent him an invite. He should be up shortly. Um, I think the panel's all been invited as well. Let me see who's on the panel so I can bring them up as well. I haven't even meant it. I, I don't like my new life. I'm not even looking at the markets. All right, it's pretty steady. That's better. Nothing has changed. That's a better life. You've hey, become Scott, a, Scott, you, yeah, ah, Scott. Done, you've become Scott a war correspondent. What do you mean? Yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this. Scott, I've got a question for you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I hear you. I was having some connection issues initially. That's okay. That's okay. I, 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 how does it feel down there being a, a speaker? It feels great. Honestly, no pressure. Uh, I feel like I can just leave whenever I want, not pay attention. You know what just happened? You know why we couldn't hear you anymore? Yeah, you muted me because now you have the power. <laughs> I, I'm aware of how this works. I, it, it, honestly, getting, getting like passively muted alongside other, the other speakers is a, a lot less uh, offensive than when you used to just cut us off and end the spaces mid-conversation. Oh, oh man, I used to I used to do that. I used to enjoy it so much until Ryan called me off. It was such a fun time, and then Ryan had to ruin the fun. It was good days. We were young. We were young. We were young and immature, and we, 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 we since then we've uh, changed our ways. Yeah, we have. We have to. Yeah, to, we're all to grown up. We're, we're running a big show now. We have to be professional. Yeah, it uh, was fine when it was on Mario's account. You're ruffling feathers uh, in mainstream media. They, they they love your coverage of the of the war, right? Man, I, I don't I don't want to talk about it. I I have man, I'm spending so many hours on this. It's it's mental. It's mental, and the drama that's happening is crazy. There's how so you much dealing with behind the, the scenes? How are you dealing with the pro Israel, pro Palestinian uh, tug of war? Given the fact that like. Um, like you generally have a lot more pro-Palestine um, uh, people in the world. Uh, like you're dealing with the with the backlash. I saw that you had some backlash. You had some backlash around it. Yes, it's just every day one of the sides is attacking me more than the other. So so it's like they take their turns. Um, but I think I I am uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay so far. I think it's it's going well. You know, trying to balance it as much as I can. Um, I'm just worried what happens. Like on a, on a serious note, and I, I don't know how that relates to crypto, but I'm I'm seriously worried if um, Hezbollah gets involved. Like this this uh, no longer becomes a regional conflict that we can all ignore. Um, the question is the question is will Hezbollah get involved, knowing that the US has warned them, knowing that the US sent carriers, knowing that that the UK has sent carriers. You think Hezbollah? I'd be surprised. Got- I'd be I'd be surprised if they do, but it's just looking more and more likely based on what we're seeing. But I still think, personally, I think it's unlikely. But um, a few others uh, disagree with me, and a few people that I respect disagree with me. But I, you know I personally what? still think it's unlikely. You know what? What surprised me the most is you got Israel, which is this like powerful state when it comes to the army and their intelligence and protecting their borders and and, and all those good things, and then. You've got, they say that Hezbollah's got 100,000 plus rockets aimed at Israel. Now, if I was Israel and I was in a, in a, surrounded by, by terrorists and, and, or people that want me removed from that, how do you get into a position? How do you get into a position where you allow anyone to get 100,000 rockets and point them at you? That, that to me just sounds crazy. 
Yeah, man. You'd, you'd be surprised how many different countries point rockets at each other. <laughs> There's a lot of rockets yeah, pointed how, at the US. <laughs> this is not a country. This is, but country. Israel, this is a terrorist organization within a country. Yeah, Israel. Israel is a, is, a, is in a tricky position. Uh, it's surrounded by countries that don't like it. Um, but it's uh, yeah, man. It's just sad. It's just sad. Well, yeah. you know what's the saddest things? They're all beautiful regions. Like Israel is incredibly beautiful. Lebanon was beautiful, still is. People, you know, it's a party place. Um, Palestine was incredibly beautiful a long time ago. So it's just such a beautiful region that became a, a, a pinnacle of. Of, of, of hatred and destruction. It's just, it's just sad to see. Yeah, and Rand, you, you know, you mentioned that Hezbollah is obviously an organization. It's not the country of Lebanon, but people seem to quickly forget that the United States went to war against an entire nation uh, because of a criminal, you know, because of a terrorist organization. I mean, went to war in Afghanistan because bin Laden was there. What happens, guys? What happens, what happens to crypto if, if, if this does escalate? What happened when the Ukraine war? I was watching crypto. When the Ukraine war happened, how did crypto react? I think we were still in the early stages of the bear market. Am I right? Like just yeah, I don't think I don't think it particularly reacted at all. My recollection, I think there was like a seven percent move or something in the first days, and then it somewhat stabilized. It was interesting. Move in that case, off. though. Down, I think, at first, but there, it, it was not a nothing burger. But I think it, more interesting with that war was the narrative because um, you had on one side, which we'll talk about today, kind of the Elizabeth Warren camp and the people saying that, uh, again, it was being used to evade sanctions, the classic sort of FUD uh, that is very similar to the being used to fund terrorist organizations. But in the case of Ukraine and, and Russia, actually, there was also extremely favorable view of crypto and Bitcoin at that time. People forget, right? It was kind of around the time that, of the Canadian truckers as well. But there was this huge narrative that people were um, sending massive donations to Ukrainians via Bitcoin and crypto, which was a very positive narrative. And that even, you know, Russians on the other side who had been cut off from the banking system when Russia was cut off from SWIFT were using it uh, in lieu of, of their bank accounts. This time, uh, we haven't really had any sort of... Uh, favorable narratives like i think we did at that at that time one interesting thing is uh, first i think this could backfire because of what we're seeing in terms of uh, the narrative being created as crypto being um, um just a source of of uh, funding terrorists and senator warren trying to leverage that um to to advance her agenda but i, I posted about yesterday there was a bunch of uh, just told you how pe- how so many people still don't understand don't understand crypto we, i posted about a bunch of binance accounts that were frozen because of, uh, I don't know, something to do with Hamas. And now looking at the comments, remember, my audience is majority non-crypto, even though I still have a really, really large audience in crypto. Um, and a lot of the comments, at least the non-crypto comments, like, hey, so much for decentralization. Hey, there goes the decentralized argument. And no, like, it, it, for me, it's like basics of crypto. They still didn't understand exchange is centralized, but crypto is not centralized. And they didn't understand that. So it just shows that, that massive disconnect in my mind, I thought that argument is dead. Like everyone understands exchanges are central aspect of crypto. I thought everyone understood that, um, but they didn't. And um, it was just uh, it was sad to see. And then obviously all the you know attacks on crypto being a source of funds for terrorists. You know what it is? It's, it's not the first time that we see it. We see politicians spinning up narratives without, uh, and using select data and not actual data. So like, you know, in this case specifically, Elizabeth Warren spiked this whole thing about how uh, uh, um, Hamas is relying on crypto. Or crypto is the facilitator. But then Chainalis, Chainalis writes the report, and she's and they say in the report, 
Uh, Al-Qassam, the, the military wing of Hamas, announced the shutdown of their long-standing cryptocurrency donation program, citing concerns for the safety of their donors given the prosecution of those who donate through cryptocurrency. So they kind of say because of KYC and because they can trace it back, it's actually probably the least viable mechanism. Yeah, I think no one, make, no one makes the argument that, hey, they've just frozen the accounts because they were able to track it. No one made that argument. Everyone makes the argument, hey, see, they're funding. What about all the bank accounts that were frozen because they were used for terrorist activities? No one mention, mentions those ones, but they mentioned the crypto ones. But it's just yeah. it, it, it's the same, same story, just selecting what, whatever data suits your narrative. Um, but yeah, Ryan, you want to kick it off? Uh, I know you, you've, you, you and Scott did a show already. So we're gonna kick it off uh, with today's. Yeah, news. So I think I think yeah. Today's, I mean, I think the big there's a couple of, of big news stories. Obviously, one is this Elizabeth Warren story, um, and the fact that she's written this letter. Uh, I think she let me just. I, I don't want to misquote who exactly she addressed the letter to, but she addressed the letter to the Under Secretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, and it's a letter uh, citing concerns that Hamas raised over 130 million dollars in crypto. Um, and I think she's using this as a mechanism to try again, once again, to, to ban crypto. Um, then the, I think the next big story is that you have Elon Musk and Mark Cuban, who are teaming up and they find an ambitious brief against the SEC because I don't like some of the structures of, of how the SEC is, uh, is running. Um, specifically, they mention the fact that the SEC uh, can use internal judges, in-house judges, to preside over cases brought by the SEC itself, prohibiting defendants uh, from the right to a jury trial. That's, I think, an, another one of the, the big stories. And then one story that broke just as I was going live was this New York Attorney General, which has filed a complaint against Gemini, Genesis, DCG, Michael Morrow, and Barry Silbert over the earned product and covering up a billion-dollar hole. And I'm not sure how this exactly works. It seems like it's a complaint, not a criminal case. But the New York Attorney General Genesis Michael Moran and Barry Silbert conspired to fraudulently represent Genesis' financial condition to hide holes in its finances. So I'm sure the lawyers will be able to give us a, a better uh, understanding. Um, you know, we, uh, one of the things that we should pay attention to is the fact that DCG owned Grayscale. Uh, I see Travis is here in the audience. He wrote a tweet which was quite... I think it was quite extreme where he says, you know, this, this could be a spanner in the works when it comes to the, the grayscale uh, GBTC conversion into an ETF. I think that those are the big stories today uh, that we covered. I don't know if there's anything else, Scott. Yeah, maybe get Travis to jump in and comment on that particular point, Travis. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> obviously it's just conjecture. And I think I think probably everybody can have a different take on what Gary Gensler may or may not do. But it just it strikes me as like kind of a long putt to think that like the first spot Bitcoin ETF product that we get via a GBTC conversion would occur while the parent company, you know, is under criminal indictment from the Southern District of New York. Like that, it just strikes me as a sort of sufficient reason to put that on ice for now. I, to me, it doesn't. I wouldn't think it would affect the other spot Bitcoin ETFs at all, but um, I don't know. I just feel like that would be like kind of weird, you know, like it's like, I don't know. Could there be some point where it's like, okay, now GBTC is an ETF 
and it's been trading for a few months and then here comes the like parent company criminal trial or something like that like this i don't know it strikes me as odd so Yeah, on the on the ETF, and uh, let me know if the background noise is okay. On the ETF, uh, guys, uh, and Scott, maybe you can comment on this, but we do have Mike Novogratz saying ETF approval will happen until the end of the year. Uh, we do have Grayscale CLO, CLO uh, who's, a, who's a regular audience member, says it's a matter of when, not if. And, uh, you know, Mike Novogratz, I, I don't know all his predictions tend to work, but you're going to have multiple sales forces when, when it does get passed. You're going to have multiple sales forces, BlackRock, Fidelity, ARK, selling out Bitcoin. He talks about why he thinks it will be in the, uh, before the end of the year. All the right, all the indications seems to be heading in the right direction. The most significant piece was SEC's loss in court. Scott, what do you think about uh, Mike and, and Grayscale CLO? I've got his name, sorry. Um, their comments on this. Could it happen before the end of the year? Scott, you're muted. Uh, while waiting for Scott, I'd I love to get so, other I think Stan's, yeah, I think Stan's not, so Scott, Stan's not coming through. Yeah, yeah, we can't hear you, Scott. You've got to drop down. I'd love to get other thoughts. Otavio, I know you're here. John, as well. We'd love to get your thoughts on what Mike and uh, and Grayscale's uh, CLO have said. And, and Gensler did do an interview. I'm not sure if you can stream it right afterwards, talking about the uh, the ETF filings. I think he's, 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 uh, um, we had AP Abacus uh, talk about it in one of his tweets. Uh, but John, Otavio, would love your thoughts on this particular comment. What are you saying, John Deaton? Yeah, man. Hey, thanks. Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, well, the thing I noticed about Gensler's comment is that it was one of the few times that he didn't take the opportunity to talk about fraud and talk about manipulation. Uh, he, he talked in a very different tone, which gave a lot of people speculation that with them not appealing the grayscale decision that we are going to see uh, a spot etf you know if not by the end of the year possibly the first quarter of next year and so you know whether or not it's going to be gptc is another question uh but just so the record's clear uh, there wasn't a criminal complaint filed it was a new york attorney general Letitia james filed a lawsuit basically saying that the Gemini Earn um, program was an investment contract under the Howey test, but also alleging fraud. And what's interesting is that the case alleges fraud between, uh, as conspirators, Gemini and Genesis, um, and that Gemini uh, did not share the risk that it knew related to the EARN program. But that's a civil lawsuit, not a criminal lawsuit. And, you know, we can talk about that if you want as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I want to go to, to uh, Otavio drop down as well. Christopher, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, we'd love your comments on this as well. And if we do get an approval before the end of the year, what does that mean for the markets? Um, and I think Scott is back. I'll give the, the mic to Scott afterwards. Okay. Go ahead, Chris. All right, yeah. Um, I, I, I really think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, the approval is, is most likely. Um, I, you know, I think it's just, you know, these are like the last kind of things we go through. And, and you know, as, as with everything else in life and in markets, you know, things that seem the worst, you know, everything gets to the extreme before it changes, right? Reverses. Um, and so, yeah. I, I think that's coming. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're already on this upward trajectory. Uh, we've been, you know, for a year now. 
Uh, we've been sideways for a while here, but still, you know, we've been holding. We haven't gone down. And so, you know, I, I think uh, everything just kind of says, yeah, it's coming. I think markets go up and, uh, you know, Bitcoin goes up on the approval. Um, and it's just but, it, but it's already going there anyway. Again, I don't see this as um, I, it, I, I think if this wasn't a thing, if the ETF wasn't a thing, I think we'd still be going up is what I'm trying to say. But people are going to attribute it going up to, um, you know, to the ETF approval. Brent, do you have that clip um, that I know you played it on your show of Gensler answering questions about the ETF? Uh, I've got I'll comments look for it, here. Uh, I'll look for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you. Yeah, yeah Ab Abacus uh, has it posted. Uh, I'll send you through the link now. I'll send it in our group now. Uh, give me okay. two seconds. I've just sent it in our Crypto Town Hall group. Uh, not the moderating one. And th there's a comment here. I think this is it. Oh, no, this is Abacus. So he does say we have eight or 10. I'm not sure, Scott, if you've seen that video as well. So yeah, being interviewed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He says we have eight. And, uh, so give us your thoughts. We have eight or 10 filings that the staff is considering an exchange-traded fund, exchange-traded fund for Bitcoin to be a security. And that and that will trade on various stock exchanges. He's explaining what it is. Staff is doing work on multiple filings. When a company or an asset manager is seeking to take something public, this exchange-traded product needs to be registered with the SEC, somehow similar with getting uh, with going public, like an IPO. So he's explaining what it is and, 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 and the fact that it needs to be regulated. Very strange, and he mentions that we are dealing with eight to 10. Yeah, how, how does it compare to other comments he's made? What does it indicate for you? Very strange interview. He looks coy. He's gone back to first principles. He's starting to explain what an ETF is. That's not Gary Gensler. That's not the, the Gary Gensler. It look, looks to me like he's pushed into a corner. He's got not, really no more defenses left. Yeah, I'll play it for you guys quickly. A court ruling from August in the Grayscale case. Grayscale, of course, trying to convert GBTC into a spot ETF. I know you can't comment on ongoing litigation, but should we still be considering that ongoing litigation given that lack of appeal at this point? And if not, what happens next? Wait, didn't you just say that you knew I wasn't going to comment on the litigation? But let me just say. But is it still ongoing since so you didn't appeal? We didn't appeal last Friday. I think that's accurate. Um, so you could well, still in the well, future in another well, form. But what we have in front of us, just so that the viewing public understands, we have not one, but multiple, I think it's eight or 10 filings that the staff and ultimately the commission is considering for what's called exchange traded products for, for Bitcoin to be in a, in, a, in a security. So the Bitcoin would be held and then there'd be something called an exchange traded product. And that would trade on various stock exchanges. And those filings are in front of us. I can't prejudge any one of them, but there's eight or 10 that we're looking at. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much what it did. So, and that's not normal, that's not normal Gary Gensler. I've got to be honest. Like that's not what, how he's, how he sounded in the past. And it was Scott, what do you think? I, I think that your take is generally right. I mean, I think we are obviously digging in a little deep on one quick clip, but I think it's very clear that the SEC in the past has been extremely dismissive, right? He wouldn't even answer a question like this in the past. And when you put this alongside the fact that everybody's refiling based on conversations that they're directly having with the SEC, that the SEC is asking the right questions now and not just kicking the can down the road with no comment at all, which if you guys remember, we've been for years seeing the SEC just does the uh, deny, you know, they kick it down the road, kick it down the road, and then reject without ever saying anything. So the very fact that these are real conversations, they're spending resources on, you've got Larry Fink the day before talking about this being a flight to quality, and then a day after Gary Gensler is trying to 
start, uh, you know, very in a very measured manner and giving a clear explanation, as you said, this is happening, right? It's uh, we, we have Eric and, and James from Bloomberg saying 90% by January 10th. Uh, you have Novogratz saying Hold on, 90 it's going to happen it, it's gone up to 90%, 90% before yeah, January 10th. 90%. Before, yeah, 90% before January 10th. But then, but then, guys. So, so Scott, quick, quick question. So, so if if everyone's expecting it to be approved before January tenth, ninety percent. Why, why isn't it already priced in? Why did it spike up when we had that false news from Coin Telegraph a few days ago? Is that because of it was early and that that was different, or is there another reason why it's, the market reacted the way it did? I think perhaps Rand has already convinced me that my take was somewhat wrong. Right. I, I had the assumption, if you guys remember, we've talked about it at length, but we saw when BlackRock applied, they went the Bitcoin price in a week went from twenty five thousand to thirty one. Now, when I made this sort of, when I, when I presented this idea, we were still at 25, not at 28, but I said, maybe we get an approval and we just see it go right back from 25 to 31. But the very fact that in 30 minutes price went from 28 to 30 and was stifled by the fake news, right? Obviously dropped back down, clearly indicates that it likely would have pushed up much higher. The question now though is, now that we've seen that move and now that we have this 90% chance of approval, is the spot buying that we've seen increased even before that fake news? Is that people trying to get ahead of this as you just sort of, as you just sort of uh, postulated? I think that's pretty likely. I think the fact that we're still sitting above 28,000 even after that fake news and we're up 4% before that happened is the indication that people are starting to buy in preparation for, for that move heading up. So I, I think I'm less in the totally priced in camp uh, in the, but, but I still believe that this has its big initial move, which I think is inevitable, but that much like the having, it's sort of one of those narratives that. Yeah, I think you're, you're glitching, uh, Scott. I'm not sure if it's glitching for you, Ryan, as well. But do you think, do you yeah, think Ryan and, and yeah, Ryan, like the question to you is, like, how do you think the market will react long term? Do you think it will, it will, it will start a, a, a yeah, strong yeah, recovery for Bitcoin or do you think the, 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 the spike will be uh, will be will be short lived? Uh, do you think the spike? Yes, yeah, 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 Ryan, do you, do you think? Sorry, I just I just muted him. But do you think the spike? Uh, Scott, I muted you. You're glitching like crazy. But do you think the spike will be short lived and, and will reverse all the gains? Or do you think that could start? I mean, um, let's say slow bull run. Um, they've been they've been multiple like. Um, uh, pricing exercises done and kind of like they all make similar assumptions and make assumptions that institutions allocated 1% of their investable assets with uh, Bitcoin and then increase to two and then potentially increase to five. And all of those summaries come out the same number somewhere between 50 and hundred thousand dollars in the first year, in, in the first phase, not the first year, the first phase when they allocate 1% of their investable assets into Bitcoin. So, I mean, obviously you're going to get these people, you know, these are crypto people doing crypto uh, assumptions. Probably a non-crypto person would say to you, there's not a chance in hell that they're putting 1% of their assets into, into Bitcoin and crypto. So it just depends kind of like on which, which side of the fence you sit on. You know, do you think that you're going to make an assumption as to what percentage of their investable income these guys are going to put into Bitcoin and crypto? Dave, I see your hands up. Uh, what do you think? I think that that it's really important to understand the dynamics of the market. Markets are not monolithic beasts. You have short-term speculators, you have intermediate-term swing traders, and you have long-term holders. Long-term holders have been buying the whole frickin' time. Continue to buy slowly, patiently, not chasing the price. Swing traders, like which are featured many of the people that come on on, on this program who are very good ones, looking at key levels when to get in, get out, etc. 
and speculators. Speculators are very twitchy. To a speculator, January is eternal. It's an, it's an eternity. They don't care. And so what you saw earlier this week was news comes out, speculators that are positioned short with the expectation that within a week, a day, a minute, they're going to be covering their shorts all collectively said, OF, <laughs> you know, don't want to use bad words, but basically, holy crap, I need to cover my shorts. Bam, you get a short covering rally. So now they flush themselves out of their shorts, but they thought their short position was good. Then the news comes out as false. Oops, let's reestablish our short. Those speculators are highly unlikely in the event of an actual approval to reestablish shorts until the market goes too far. And what we see in a normal retracement is a big move followed by, eh, you know, it depends on whether you're an Elliott Wave theorist, various swing traders, I mean, Gareth and others can comment on this. The fact of the matter is you'll get a retracement, but it won't be 100%. The reason that all the, that we've now seen the boy who cried wolf happen now three times and that with the exact same effect in ever shrinking amounts of time and magnitude, we saw 25 to 31 on the BlackRock announcement, and then people are like, well, wait a minute, this is actually not happening that soon. Bam, all the way back down. But slowly, we then saw the Grayscale Court ruling, and it went from, what, 26, 27 to almost 29, so about half the magnitude, and it retraced pretty quick, you know, at least, you know, twice as fast. And then we saw yesterday, you know, not yesterday, Monday, while Scott and I and and, and James were on, on the thing. So my point is that people... You know, quick twitch kind of traders will push it up. There will be a short covering rally. Swing traders will look at the key levels and long term holders will just have a new level, a new base to continue buying. That's the first short term. The long term is as Rand was talking about. That takes time. It's not like BlackRock has a wave of $80 billion ready to move into the asset class. But once it's approved, you will start to see people who make slow decisions to asset allocate, and you'd see what I would call the beginning of unrelenting, slow, steady pressure and supply at the same time as the having. So, you know, yes, I'm, I'm rather bullish. There's no question about that, but I'm not bullish in the sense of it's not a straight line. You'll get a quick twitch up, which is definitely not priced in, which is why we saw what we saw on Monday. And then you're going to see a new base and a new climb the wall of worry bull market because of asset allocators, which will evolve over time. That's my thesis. Matt, would love your thoughts as well. I see your hand up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I actually just agree one sec, one sec, one sec. Just before we get there, I will give you the mic in a second, Matt. Just, um, Dave, how long do you think before asset allocators, in terms of months, how long do you think before asset allocators allocate 1% of their investable assets it, it, into Bitcoin? It, it's not binary. That's the problem. The problem is, is it months? Is it months? Is it is it years? Is it? It is. I mean, just you have. Let's we're just. Talk, we're, no, I, I. You're talking about a statistical thing. We're talking about fifteen thousand plus individual decision makers. Some have already made the decision. As soon as it's allocated, they want to get in soon. Others are going to go talk to their clients, and clients are going to make decisions at different times. Others are going to adopt a wait and see attitude, etc. So it's much more of a slow groundswell building that, of course, we all know that the most important feature of Bitcoin, Scott loves to say this, and he's right, is number go up increases uh, increases it. So what you're likely to see is the same thing we always see, 
is a you know the reverse parabola you know the the, the i'm trying to draw it in, my, in the air here but you know the the accelerating uh you know rally which will get ahead of itself and people will say oh wait a minute <laughs> you know we've gone too far and then lather rinse repeat it's not a binary switch that's the important point because you're talking about fifteen thousand different asset allocators they're all going to have different time scales matt go ahead yeah, I was just going to, to sort of add on to what Dave was saying. I, I agree completely with that. And I think what that means is it's not priced in for the long term. You know, bitwise, we spend all our days talking to financial advisors. Most of them are not paying attention to the news. They don't know how close we are to a spot Bitcoin ETF. They don't know that it's a 90% likelihood. They don't know that the GBTC discount has narrowed so much. And they're going to come into the market over years I think there's a there's an instructive example from the history of ETFs, which was the approval of gold ETFs in 2004. And what you saw there was in the first five days, a billion dollars came into gold ETFs, the fastest growing ETFs of all time. And then it quieted down. By the end of year one, it was only $3 billion. But it built year by year after that to the point where at year 10, it was $40 billion. And what you saw was the price of gold went up 11 consecutive years after the launch of the first gold ETF in Australia and then a year later in the US. And I think that's I think that's the important thing. You, you, you all are, are probably right in thinking about the scale of the potential move on the initial launch and the potential for retracement after that, a sell the news effect. But I think the market hasn't contemplated uh, the sort of size of the step function long term. Uh, from this going from uh, an asset that's really hard to allocate to if you're a professional investor to an asset that's uh, that's easy to allocate to and is normalized. Uh, and I think that gold example of, of sort of 10 consecutive years of building inflows will probably be more accelerated in Bitcoin, but it's not it's not off by an order of magnitude. I think this is a multiple year. Matt, I've got, I've got a quick question for you. What, what was the short term impact? And if you mentioned it already, I apologize. What was the short term impact when the gold ETF launched? Yeah, I think you saw a run-up in price uh, beforehand and, and immediately afterwards, and then some resetting. I, I think it's a, I think it's very analogous. But you know, the, the the bigger thing was gold was a, I don't know, a two trillion dollar asset class then, and it's it's what fourteen, fifteen trillion now, right? I mean that that that's the bigger thing. So again, spike. how much of that, how much that do you attribute to the fact that there was an ETF? Like, do you think that that the ETF in gold's case? lifted a significant barrier if you if before there was an etf how did people actually buy gold what was the what were the options for institutional investors to buy gold before the etf yeah it basically didn't happen i know that's hard for people to imagine but you had to buy gold bars or gold coins and put them in a vault or you had to buy gold mining you know it's it's worth noting maybe people don't know the gold etf was developed by the world gold council which is a group supported by gold miners who wanted to find a way to normalize gold as an institutional investment. That was the whole idea. That's why they funded $14 million in legal costs and organized a huge group of people to get gold ETFs over the line, specifically to create a vehicle that will allow for institutional investors to access the space. And if you look at the data, what happened is really interesting and also maybe informative for crypto, which is that the buying of gold bars and gold jewelry, which were the way retail investors allocated to gold didn't go down at all all that happened was you added this huge increment of uh of, of, of billions and then tens of billion dollars in annual new net purchases 
for a relatively supply inelastic good. And I think it was a primary driver of the price. I mean, you pull up a non-inflation adjusted gold chart uh, and you will see a giant inflection around 2023, which was when the Australian gold ETF launched in 2024, when the U.S. gold ETF launched, when gold went from, you know, a nominal value of a couple hundred dollars, you know, into the into the thousands. Uh, I think it's a, 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 a very good analogy to think about the transformative impact of an ETF on the crypto market. It's not going to mean that people won't buy it uh, directly. People won't buy it through Coinbase. People won't buy it through apps. All that will happen. It's just you'll have this new class of investors who control most of the money in the world able to buy it for the first time. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited if we do see that. What about the comment that Novogratz made is that when you have an ETF approved, you're going to have BlackRock, Fidelity, ARK selling Bitcoin, promoting Bitcoin. What impact will that have on regulation, if any? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's massively positive. It normalizes the asset class. I mean, just think about the impact of Larry Fink going on and calling it a flight to quality asset. Think about what that does in Washington, at the SEC, etc. Five years ago, he called Bitcoin an index of money laundering. Imagine if that was uh, the tone from BlackRock today with Elizabeth Warren's letter. You get a very different outcome in D.C. than you do if the largest asset manager is calling it a flight to quality asset and helping you know, millions of investors access it. It, it. it really provides an important counterpoint. So I think it puts us on the path to normalization on a regulatory front. Uh, I think it brings professional investors in. It makes it you know, much less volatile over time. It's 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 just strictly good on multiple levels. David. So I just want to point out that you know, and I don't want to say I think long term. I happen to agree with everything Dave and Matt just said, but for the short term, I'm not as positive, and I don't think that the approval is coming as quickly as some people hope. Um, certainly, I'm definitely less than ninety percent in the next ten weeks. But here's why. The SEC simply has to either oppose the GPTC conversion on alternative grounds or approve it. What possibly could the SEC oppose the GPTC conversion in the next 10 weeks? Oh, my God, a massive lawsuit was just filed against the parent company today by the New York alleging fraud, alleging really bad things. Who is really running and has the ear of the administration in D.C. The administration in D.C. right now, people think Elizabeth Warren just sent a letter. Who just got promoted and went from being Elizabeth Warren's chief of staff to going to the White House to be the deputy director of the National Economic Council, which is basically who is running the anti-crypto policy, John Donenberg. Novogratz and Ryan Seacliss made a really big point of this. I don't think he left his job being chief of staff to Elizabeth Warren, which is about as a secure job in D.C., to go be the anti-crypto person at the White House, thinking everything's about to change in 10 weeks and crypto is going to go positive. So, I mean, I spent most of my 20s in D.C. at the largest lobbying law firm in the world. These guys, the decisions aren't made the day of. The decisions are made in the back room. I'm not saying I'm not positive, as Dave Weisberger said, for the future, but we're talking about people saying 90% in the next 10 weeks. I've got a problem with that. I do think there's a lot of issues that the SEC, again, people don't understand. 
Gary Gensler, while he's the face of the problem, he's acting on marching orders from Warren and Biden's teams. He's not doing this without their support. He hasn't been hung out to dry. We're seeing a tone change, which I think is really important. And I think we're moving in that direction. But I think these numbers of 90 percent, it's going to happen in 10 weeks. That's really a micro short amount of time. I just think that if you look, I I don't bet I don't bet on products. I bet on people and what people are doing. The smart money and the control right now is a bunch of old people who don't get this. And the people who work for them are still banking on jobs in D.C. that there are going to be problems moving forward. But I mean, Dave, just from a legal point of view, there's a you know, there's a process. As far as I understand the process, they have to approve or deny within a certain amount of time. If they deny, they've got to give you, I'm assuming, valid reasons. They can't just deny for no reason, right? So, I mean, well, that's so, the whole that's that's the great that's the grayscale decision. It was arbitrary and capricious. Mm-hmm. So they didn't appeal it, so they have to give a new they have to give a new reason. I think in ten whatever next Friday, like in ten days, so they can either give a new reason or they can approve. That's what some people are banking on that they're just going to approve and they're going to approve in mass uh, and say all these ETFs are approved. In the last week, we saw BlackRock, Ark, and some of the other big names do some amendments to their filings saying how they are not all of their cryptos can be segregated. The custodians are going to hold it. And it's a safe asset class, which, by the way, I completely believe it should be segregated. But here you have this lawsuit that's with GBTC and DC and, and the parent company where. So what? Even if it's segregated, if the company's being against it, I'm just saying there's a lot of shit happening right now that the <laughs> government, who's very slow, can take a slow roll. Can we take a quick look at the DCG uh, uh, thing that happened today? And the reason why I say thing, I'm not quite under, I'm not quite sure. It's the New York Attorney General. They use the word fraud in in this thing, but it's not. A, from what I understand, this is not a criminal case. Correct. Okay, so what is? So it? it's not criminal. So what is Just it? Just like Trump being sued, it's the same person who's suing Donald Trump. They're suing him. They're suing. It's a. It's not like if he loses this, he goes to jail. He's got other things that can make him go to jail. But ultimately, right now, they're being sued for basically putting fraudulent statements on the market. Uh, this obviously could lead to other other things. But for the moment, these are securities violations of basically lying to the market. Uh, Gemini's being accused of knowing it was junk and they were selling it as low risk. DCG is being accused of, you know, selling of knowing the books were cooked and the what the another problem but how how's that, that but how's that not criminal david i'm gonna let the criminal lawyers explain the criminal difference in criminal charges everything can turn criminal it's just not criminal yet john carlo yeah well listen imagine it was just like the ripple case had they also alleged fraud it's a civil case so the the uh, New York Attorney General is alleging fraud in a civil complaint, just like any other plaintiff would do. Uh, an individual sues someone civilly in alleged fraud. And basically what's interesting about this case is to me is that the, the twins were not named, although Barry Silbert was named and the ex-Genesis CEO. And they allege that Genesis, Gemini conspired with Genesis uh, basically on the Gemini Earn program. And the fraud on the Gemini side is that they didn't share what David just said, that they they knew, for example, that 60% 
of uh, Genesis loans to third parties were to SBF and Alameda. They didn't disclose that. They knew inside that that in a crypto downturn, there was a 50 to 60 percent chance that Genesis would default. They didn't share that with their investors. And so that's the type of fraud, misrepresentation, omission, things of that nature that they're alleging. Now, is it possibly that, that, the, uh, that they could also file a, a, a criminal complaint? It's possible, but I think unlikely uh, at this point. And I don't want to minimize when, when fraud is alleged, I take, always take a different perspective uh, because, um, you know, my big contention with the SEC is that they've been not going after the fraudsters and been going after, you know, uh, good actors or people who are they're just technically violating, you know, Section 5 of the 1934 Act, applying the Howey test to modern day blockchain technology. So I don't want to minimize the fraud, but we also need to know that uh, Letitia James is, is a very political person. You know, she she ran on going against Trump. She's very anti-crypto. And I believe that she's working in conjunction with the administration because she has political ambitions, whether it's the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, whether it's eventually taking over Merrick Garland for attorney general. And so um, there's a lot of politics at, at play here. Carlo. Good morning, everybody. Great thoughts, John. I agree. Uh, I was in New York City for a New York State Bar Association conference, and I spoke on blockchain crime, and I had some time to kill before my flight. So I went and popped in and watched some of the SPF trial, and they had the forensic accountant, the professor from Notre Dame, up on the stand for the government, did a very, very effective job of communicating to the jury in charts and easy-to-follow pie graphs the amount of customer funds that went into FTX that should have been listed as liabilities on their books and then went out to Alameda. And now, Mario, I think what we're going to see here is the contagion effect of this. Any loans that touch on Alameda, the companies involved in those loans are going to be closely scrutinized for purposes of what type of disclosures they were aware of and what they failed to disclose. Now, it is a big jump from a scheme to defraud uh, from a civil allegation of fraud because you've got to have an orchestrated scheme to commit that fraud. And this could just be a lack of due diligence and failure to uh, adequately so interpret the data. Okay, so, so just to, to understand, so fraud, if it's orchestrated, it's criminal. If it's accidental, it's not criminal. I'm trying to oversimplify it. Well, you, you have to have a scheme to defraud. Under the wire fraud statute, there has to be proof of a scheme to defraud. So yes, they may have, when things started to go sideways, looked and said, hey, we need to recall our loan. Can you send us books and show us what uh, the stability is of your assets? And now you've got these books that Caroline testified to that were sent out that may have been misleading, if they can extrapolate that there was some kind of knowledge or that they were somehow complicit to that, that's a different story. But if they took what Caroline was sending at her word and they simply were reporting that back to people and not making any outward representations in a scheme to defraud investors, then I don't know that they can get to a criminal charge, but they certainly did uh, unfortunately, based on the allegations reported in this lawsuit, look, everyone was excited about the gains that they could make in these vehicles, but nobody was talking about how these loans were collateralized, if they were collateralized, 
And I think that opens up to a lot of liability. Because we're talking about some of the most respected names in the industry. It's like every respected name, every 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 leader, almost every leader in our industry is just facing some sort of charges, civil or criminal. Yeah, I'm not sure what the latest is with Richard Hart, by the way. I'm not sure because obviously I've been away for a while, but I'm not sure if there's been any developments because I think it was civil, hasn't been civil criminal. Case. Civil case. Okay, civil. nothing criminal yet. Yeah, okay. Well, considering we haven't seen anything criminal yet, does that mean it's unlikely? I know I've kind of pivoted to a different discussion because usually- No, Mario, because remember, look, I don't want to cast aspersions on anything unless it's been, these are allegations. But remember, a lot of these cases start as civil enforcement actions by SCC, CFTC, state attorney generals. Whether they evolve to criminal cases, we've seen the pattern. They tend to start as enforcement actions and then they tend to then evolve into criminal because I think they're working together on a lot of these task forces. But two questions, Carlo. First, don't the criminal charges follow civil charges relatively quickly, as we saw with Coin? Uh, with oh no, sorry, I was going to use Binance as an example, but there's still no no DOJ DOJ investigation to Binance. No, nothing announced there, so still nothing criminal. So yeah, makes your point. I thought they were they would be you know within the same time frame. Um, but then the, the next question is. Um, um, uh, I forgot the first question. The second question, could that have an impact as it goes to any panelist? Um, and I, when I remember my first question, I'll ask you, Carlo, but the second question, could that have an impact on the ETF um, applications, considering that so many players are facing uh, different charges and now we've got Genesis and DCG in the mix as well? I forget who just said it, but talk, I think it was, uh, I, I can't remember who said it, but someone was just talking about how, I think it was John who said, you know, don't put aside that this looks like coordination again, where we're talking about how this gets filed, you know, a week before a decision has to be made about Grayscale. I don't think that's accidental. Um, the reason why, and I think to your point, Mario, about the difference between civil and criminal, civil tends to be we said things that are wrong and we misled people. And, but we didn't steal anything. We didn't do it. We did. We just misled people. Criminal tends to be we stole, we hurt, and not only did we knowingly lie, we lied and we stole the money for ourselves. And the difference here I'll give you is one of the damning allegations in this complaint uh, filed today is that Gemini downgraded internally uh, the Genesis loans to say that they were uh, compatible and similar to companies with a CCC rating, also known as a junk rating. And they went on just saying that these were safe investments for other people, for their clients. So that's misleading. We're going to hear a lot of statements, I'm sure, from defense lawyers about how these are puffery statements in the disclosures. They said that these were all high-risk loans and nothing was safe and guaranteed. But they were sold. When you saw the one-page printout of an investment, it was sold as, this is safe, liquid, you can put your life savings into this. That's when things are civil. When it becomes criminal is if, and I think the New York Post reported this recently, and the Gemini and the twins very much denied this. So I'm not saying this is true or not, but the New York Post said they took out a quarter billion dollars of their own money and then let their own customers go down. That's where you see something else. Obviously, Gemini and uh, the twins have denied that. But I've always said yesterday's crypto heroes, tomorrow's crypto felons, you know, this is going to be one of the saddest taking down of people if this is turns out to be true. I've had nothing but respect for the twins. I really don't want to see this. I think it's terrible for crypto. We really need leaders who are honest, fair and upfront. But this, I mean, I, I'd like to believe that their denials are true. And isn't it true that the success rate of the DOJ is extremely high? I can't remember what the percentage was. 97% conviction rate. When they come with a case, they usually come very strong, Mario. 
Carlo, will you so agree with me on this? Carlo, will you agree with me this though? The conviction rates are really high. Most of the federal cases are drug related. Yeah, and look, the reason that the conviction rate is very high is because most people plea. Very few people uh, have the risk tolerance to go to trial and to to challenge the evidence that the government is bringing forward. So there's a lot of factors that go into that conviction rate. But look, when they bring a case, when they indict a case. They're usually ready to go, and they've they've covered their bases. They don't bring weak cases. There are exceptions. I've been involved in exceptions where I've gotten acquittals, but generally they bring strong cases. Can I just ask you, what is their disincentive to not bring weak cases? I mean, it's a very impressive record, and I know that when they come for you, it's pretty much because they, they're pretty sure that they're going to get it right. But I'm kind of thinking, what is the incentive for them not to, to cast the net as wide as possible? Why do they pride themselves on such a good – Conviction rate. Well, I think because they they genuinely want to serve justice and they want to do the right thing. And they're you know, you could you could point fingers at bad apples and you can make accusations. But look, generally, they want to do the right thing and they want to bring cases that are solid because you look at the SPF case as an example. I mean, there is a lot of money. The expert testified yesterday that so far has billed the government one hundred thousand dollars for generating his forensic analysis of all the loans between FTX and Alameda of investor funds. So there's a lot on the line. They don't want to bring a case and spend all this time and money and get egg on their face. Andrew, are you there? Oh, let me bring up Andrew. I think the mic isn't working. Um, hold on, let me bring him up. Carlo, go ahead. I think you were speaking, and then we'll go to Andrew. Oh, Scott. I was just going to say, I can't bring Andrew up either, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to bring him up. I brought up. I brought up David. Um, yeah, again, you're glitching. You're glitching like I'm crazy, here, Scott. Guys. Sorry for yeah, the delay. Yeah, Andrew. Oh, good. Like, uh, you probably have a few comments, but my question. I want to ask you about the video we played. Um, you posted about uh, Gensler's video talking about the ETF when he was asked. Um, you, you know, Rand was just talking about how it's not the usual Gensler. Um, the, the the answer was was not what we'd usually hear from him. Um, so I'd love to get your thoughts on it because you you made a similar uh, similar post earlier today. Yeah. So yesterday, obviously, his his commentary was very, very different. There's three ways that he could have taken that question. One is I can't comment. We're reviewing. There's there's no reason for me to comment. Right. That, that would have been one way to go with it. There would have been a different direction, which was crypto is filled with, you know, bad actors, you know, his his common trope from the last six months. He didn't do that either. What he did is he positioned spot Bitcoin ETFs as these particular ETFs and Bitcoin is going to be packaged in a securitized type of box. He didn't use that exact language, but Bitcoin is going to be packaged in a way that is effectively a security that's going to be traded on an exchange. That is as far as I can imagine Gensler going on this particular issue saying, you know, this is this is compliance, right? Like, this is my version of of being compliant. You've decided to use a compliant structure to be traded on compliant exchanges. Um, I, I can't imagine him using language that goes any further than that without it being an absolute blowout we're you know oh yeah those spot bitcoin etfs uh, about 48 hours from now they'll they'll all be approved i mean it's it basically stopped short of that so um 
pretty remarkable language, pretty, pretty remarkable adjustment in tone and positioning them as the, these, you know, these submissions have come to us in a compliant way. They're going to be packaged in a compliant package and they're going to trade on stock exchanges, AKA compliant exchanges. Right. So pretty remarkable stuff. Um, and, Again, I have several sources both in the SEC and those that have previously worked in the SEC and know people that currently work there. Um, and there's lots of scuttlebutt that, that they're not going to string this out um, to the end of the rope, you know, February-ish of, of 2024. That is going to happen sooner than that. Um and that's not a surprise. One of the things that I didn't include in that tweet that I think is also a marker for, you know, there being a 90 plus percent that this is kind of a done deal and probably faster than we think is, you know, remember, folks applied for, you know, uh, ETH futures, you know, those ETFs. They were told, hey, we're not going to do those. Right. And then out of nowhere, SEC staff was like, hey, everybody, uh, those ETH futures, ETFs, you know what, why don't you go ahead and, you know, submit again? And like less than a month later, all approved, bang, just done, right? That's also a marker as to the adjustment and change for some reason associated with, with what's going on here. Um, that, that, that particular piece where we're like, oh, we're, we're looking at ETH futures again, and then two weeks later, uh, looks like they're going to be approved. And then like a few days later, they're all actually approved and they're trading on Monday morning. I mean, uh, that, that was that was speedy and quick. And that decision happened with very, very little uh, pushback, it seems. Um, and so add that to the language that Gary used. Did Andrew, Andrew, did you, he, he dropped out? Yeah, I don't know if you can still hear me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I, we can hear you now, Scott, but I think Andrew dropped out. I, I wanted to ask him one more question just about the, considering that he's the one that broke the, one of the, I think he was the one that broke the news when he was on our space about the DCG concerns, and obviously now we're seeing uh, everything develop. So I want to get his thoughts on that. Um, while waiting for Andrew to be back, I, I know we do have Nick. Um, and we've got uh, uh, David yeah, here as I'm well. Here, so, sorry. Oh, you're back, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. So I had a, I had a different question yeah. to you, to Andrew, and then we'll go to Nick just to get his thoughts on the markets and then David yeah. to get a bit of a macro update unless Scott and Rana have further questions. But my question for you is um, about the latest developments with uh, Gemini, DCG, Genesis. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously I, I, I put a post up and the, you know, the thought process behind the post, I... I I often do some things, you know, after the post and, and you know, put some things in there that, that have to do with it. Um, listen, I, 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 I think that, you know, it, it's hard to use language like it's cut and dry. When we're talking about legal issues here, um, this is going to stretch out for a, for a fairly long time. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, you have one party that was uh, doing their best to rely on information that they were given. You have another party that's ac accused of lying and fraud. And now by the New York AG, you know, is, is saying in their, in their, in their claim, um, they lied, right? They, they, they lied about their, uh, their financials. Um, I, I thought the best you know, tweet that I saw about it and tried to give it a bunch of, um, you know, shine a light on it is, 
Um, I don't even know who this person is. It's a Novacula Okami. I probably completely butchered that name. Um, but it says, so Genesis considered a sophisticated player in crypto, ran an uncollateralized loan book using Gemini money to lend mostly to 3AC, Alameda, and DCG, and then lied about it. Result, 232,000 re retail investors lost a billion bucks. That's pretty, that's pretty cut and dry is what that is, right? So they, bottom line is Gemini Earn was the biggest credit, it still is the biggest creditor to, to Genesis, Virgo, DCG. Um, they were using the service the most, and that money was used to make bets and other loans to these companies that were now defunct. And then after the fact, DCG and Genesis spent a lot of time covering it up, lying about it, and obfuscating in every possible way for a period of six to eight months. Um, I've said it a dozen times. There's a good actor and a bad actor in this particular uh, play. Um, and the good actor, every time something like this comes out, that company and those individuals immediately respond they immediately give a you know some level of forceful and full-throated response to what their position is they've taken extra legal action uh, against genesis dcg and barry individually the other actor here basically has done everything in their power to hide use lawyers and consultants to extend and dismiss and stay out of the limelight and use time to try and solve their problems. Oh, by the way, they put out some PR and lied about selling Coindesk and that transaction still hasn't closed. So I try and keep it fairly simple. That, that seems to track. Um, there might be a little bit of nuance in there as to who knew what and when and what actions maybe should have or could have been taken. But it's difficult to make decisions when you're working really hard to and being lied to. Right. I mean, that's that's that's, that's tough yeah. to do. It's one thing. One thing I'd add real fast that there was just from Sam's trial over the last couple of days. I can't remember exactly what the language was, but they they entered into evidence um, some messages between Genesis and Alameda. Yeah. Where Genesis was basically like, we need we need like five hundred million dollars back in loans to like shore up our balance sheet to like make us look better or something like I can't remember what the exact language was, yeah. but it was tough. Yeah. Like it was like this is crazy. Genesis and Genesis and not a criminal lawyer, but it was like very conspiratorial the way that it yeah. read to me. Like very Genesis and DCG knew that Alameda and FTX were insolvent months before everyone else did because of what Travis is talking about right there. Um, and Genesis obviously knew DCG obviously knew Genesis was insolvent for months before anybody else did. Um, and the, you know, the, the, the lawsuit today, the action taken today by the New York AG and the, the, you know, the points that are made make that, you know, exceedingly clear, um, and I've seen documentation. I've even linked some documentation where you've got, you know, VPs at Genesis trying to work with, you know, customers and lenders talking about, hey, I, you know, I, you shouldn't don't blame me. I was just doing what I was told. I was taking what I was shown and I'm trying to help you out. And it's not my fault. You know, I'm just doing what I was told. 
right? It's crazy. It's, it's, it's just crazy. I remember those days where we you'd be talking about those things in, in the space and they would call us fear mongers. And then when, when things start coming to light, it just turns out to be a lot worse than we even uh, yeah. than we even expected or we even made it out to be. Um, and that's across the world. Like every single thing we talked about back then that yeah. you know people said were fear mongering. And then yeah. it just turns out to be significantly worse. It's sad to see. Um, I, I want to go to I'll, Christopher. I'll, 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 I'll remember that the next time that Rand talks shit to me about Binance. I'll, I'll <laughs> yes. remember those words. <laughs> let, let, let's see. Let's see. Because uh, we'll, we'll see about Binance. So I think that's uh, it's like the last one still pending. See if Travis is right or Rand wins that battle. You guys should make a bet, financial bet, like a, a hefty one. And what could happen? Uh, I'll, I'll remind Rand to invite you to his show and have that debate. I think it would be epic. Um, Christopher. We'll have to get your thoughts, and then we'll go to Nick to get a quick market update as well. And David, just a macro update before we wrap up. Yeah, I just, you know, um, I just wanted to take a quick second here. As what usually happens when, you know, when the government, uh, you know, charges somebody with something, you know, uh, we, we tend to always assume that the people are guilty. Um, you know, there's talk about the government's record, you know, is, is this great record, everything. Um, but, you know, before I say what I'm about to say here, let, let, you know, I do have a law degree. I'm not a practicing attorney. I have a master's in psychology and I have a master's in Homeland Security. So um, I have a little bit, I'm just trying to say this so you know, I'm not just pulling this out of my rear end. But the fact is the way that not just at the federal level, but at all levels, the fact that plea bargaining is 98% of the, you know, of the cases here, you know, that, that are going through is should be a worrisome number. Um, and it's because, you know, prosecutors are going for efficiency versus uh, fairness, right? And so you have to think, especially when you have the resources of the federal government coming at you, you know, it's a scary thing, you know, getting threatened to go to the federal prison. Maybe you think, OK, maybe I might have accidentally done something, uh, you know, that, that may get me in trouble. And now I have to go and prove that I didn't, you know. And so that that's a lot of this leading into people pleading out, uh, pleading guilty, which boosts the government's record. Um, why would the government go after, uh, you know, just the, the strongest cases rather than everything? Because, hey, it's easier to get a plea bargain, right? If you go and you say, hey, listen, we've got a 98% conviction rate, um, you know, you're going to be much more likely to continue pleading guilty. So I think a lot of that, I think we have to remember that a lot of that plays into um, just how, you know, these, these, these uh, prosecution records that go on there. Um, there's a lot of psychology that goes into it. A lot of... Um, you know, scaring people into actually agreeing to be, you know, to pleading guilty. Um, and, you know, and what we find, especially at the lower levels, we know that a significant number of the plea deals, uh, you know, the people actually aren't guilty, right? They, they're just fearful. They don't have the money to get a good attorney. They're scared because if they go in and they lose, they're going to get this much longer and much more harsh prison sentence. But the same thing applies as you get onto these larger levels as well. I'm not saying everybody's not guilty, but what I'm saying is I think we have to always be aware that just because, you know, the government comes and says, the DOJ says, hey, listen, uh, this person did this, this, this and that, you know, the reality of it is until it's actually proven, you know, it, it may or may not have happened. And I think we got to be careful not to automatically assume that things are bad or even that they're exactly as what is said. And just understand that a lot of unfortunately, um, the fear that we see in there from, from people that are brought up against the government is this fear of, OK, well, if I fight it. I mean, you know, things are going to be a lot worse. And, you know, anytime you go to court, uh, you know, I don't care how strong your evidence is. Every time you go to court, there's a chance you're going to lose. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you're a, a prosecutor, it's a lot uh, better for you to get a plea bargain of some sort because you don't have to take that chance. And so I just think there's a lot of it out there. A lot of people, you know, generally that we don't kind of take into consideration. We just assume, oh, my gosh, 
they're getting sued by the government. So they're definitely guilty. Um, even subconsciously, we think that. And, and I just think there's a lot broken with the way our, our justice system works right now. Um, but, you know, again, all that being said, um, I, I don't know, you know, whether they did or didn't. And maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But uh, honestly, at the end of the day, I don't think we're really going to know for sure, uh, because even if they were to plea to some lower charge or something, uh, you know, again, there's there's all that other bit that's in there. Um, and so it, it's kind of the way our justice system is, is kind of screwed up. But um, yeah, I, I just, I just want to make sure people are kind of clear on that because it's really mm. easy to yeah, so it's a good point. the other way, you know? Yeah, I, think, I, I agree. I think, as soon as someone sees uh, criminal charges, immediately they jump in, they, they must be guilty, especially looking at previous, uh, uh, the, the record of the uh, of the Justice Department. So I think it's a very valid point, Christopher. I appreciate you making it. Uh, I, I do want to go to, to Nick, uh, just for a quick update on the on the crypto market. Any comments on what's been said so far? And then we'll go to David. Hey, Thanks for having me today. Yeah, didn't didn't chime in. Uh, as much as I wanted to on some of the previous topics. But, uh, you know, I'm still on the camp and I've been saying now for months that I think the Bitcoin spot ETF isn't going to come to January or March of 2024. Uh, I just don't think with the current cases open that they're going to be rushing this. Yeah, Gary Gensler's tone has definitely changed. I think that means that, yeah, we're going to have a Bitcoin spot ETF. 99% sure, in my opinion, that we will have one. It's a matter of when and when have they really ever rushed uh, into doing these things, and they really haven't. So I'm still looking at January or March. I think is the Mar mid March is the final deadline for about seven or eight of these, and I think they're going to do it in a uh, kind of a, a batch way. I think they're going to you know approve three to five of these. I don't think it's going to be a, a one and done. How, how do you think the markets will react, Nick? So I don't think that is priced in. I think just the, the fake news and the fact that we're sitting here holding $28,640 today in the face of a red stock market tells you it's not priced in even with the crypto people. And once the Bitcoin spot ETF is approved, like others have discussed, this opens up a floodgates for institutional size investors. I forget who said it. Maybe it was David. Everybody will have their own thesis on how fast they move that 1%. But I think ultimately they're going to start treating Bitcoin and the Bitcoin spot ETF just like they did the gold ETF, where it's going to be a component of everybody's portfolio as far as precious metals. It's going to be a selling point for these, you know, play by the book financial advisors that BlackRock and everybody has. We're like, all right, this is what we do. We do 20 percent in bonds. We do 3 percent in precious metals, 1 percent in Bitcoin. And that's just kind of the standardized practice that they have. And, you know, we all know with the uh, limited amount of Bitcoin in, in the finance supply and the set inflation rates, that's it. That's going to cause a big disruption in the historical cycles that we that we see, in my opinion, and a, a large uptick. The thing is, oh, you're back. Okay, sorry, somebody's calling me. The thing is, you know, Nasdaq has seen a seven day downtrend here, and I think there is still another three to five percent downtrend risk here. Um, which, you know, historically, at least in this whole bear market, Bitcoin has been pretty correlated with the Nasdaq. So. We'll see if it can fight off the trend or if there will be some kind of revert to the mean. I think when the fake news came out, I said that I think that we're going to revert back to 27 to 27.5. Um, I didn't think we'd give back all the gains, but I think that we do have um, some downside risk here as I don't see stocks kind of digging out of the hole with all the macro events and the climate that we see across the globe. Um, and I think a lot of people, uh, this buying now is late longers because you have Novogratz and these big names thinking that, oh, I think it's coming soon. And look at Gary Gensler. It's going to happen by the end of the year. I just don't see that happening. I think there's too many core cases opens, uh, too many uh, loose ends that need to be filled. But I do think January or March. And I think that's really a better timing for us in here in crypto because then it's an easier sell with the macro global environment as far as the war is going on. We have the presidential election in 2024. We have the having occurring in April. And everybody understands that, hey, we've had terrible inflation globally, and this is going to cut the inflation in half for Bitcoin. 
And I think just it's a really easy sell for these uh, asset managers um, to try to to try to bring it into people's portfolios. I agree. I agree. I think it's a great take. Uh, David, uh, you know, I've been out of, out of the loop for, for over a week now because of the war. So maybe a quick uh, macro update, not just today, but for the past uh, you know, seven to 10 days would be good where we're at now. That's that's a tall task, Mario. We should talk war for, for uh, not on this space, but, no, but, no, no, but, no. but you and I should. Yeah, another space. But in any event, um, no, I, th- I think uh, just to bring it, you know, um, you know, really quickly to the present. I mean, we're coming up on 5% on the 10 year. Uh, we just broke through 8% uh, on the average 30-year uh, mortgage. Um, in light of that, I think there are a lot of people uh, on a daily basis rethinking their portfolio construction. Certainly people that you know are much more in uh, a buy and hold type strategy. Um, <clears throat> and it's certainly in terms of long-term illiquid investments. Uh, you know, people now have to realize that the risk-free rate of return is way higher uh, than it was for, you know, call it the past 20 years. Um, you know, I, I think that that's the thing that's bearing um, the, 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 the greatest amount of weight on the market right now. Certainly, the market is willing to reward companies that perform well. I mean, you know, Netflix came out with numbers that were impressive, you know, by everyone's estimations. You know, certainly there are questions around, you know, how much of it is, you know, long term and, you know, not one time. But in any event, they, they, they did well. The market's rewarding them. And certainly if the market sees something that it doesn't like is in Tesla's, re- you know, earnings last night, it's going to get punished. Stocks down nine percent today. So I think we will. Re- and by the way, we, we oscillate on a daily basis. Right. We have a one day up, one day down type of market. So I think. There's two things. A, it's a stock picker's market in terms of being able to go ahead and put your money with those companies that are going to perform well. And then the second thing is, is it's a trader's market um, also. And so you got to be a pretty active manager um, in terms of being able to, you know, have a, a long term, have, have confidence that you're going to make money in the short term. You've got to be in and out of markets. Otherwise, you really can't tell. And, and certainly, you know, the war is overshadowing everything. Certainly, if the war, war goes ahead and broadens, if people think it's going to lengthen, people think it's going to affect macro economy more generally, then obviously it's going to go ahead and hurt markets generally. Um, and so therefore, I think people are hesitant to go ahead and place any sort of overemphasis on a very long position, um, you know, in the stock market. So I, I think we're kind of in a holding pattern, certainly going into an election year, you know, in the United States as well. So there's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. So I, I wouldn't expect a major melt up in the market. Um, certainly, there could be a major meltdown to the extent that there's any crisis. And then on a day-to-day basis, absent any of the, those two things, I think we just oscillate between gains and losses with with companies that perform well being rewarded and those that don't being punished. I appreciate that, David. Um, I think this is it. I think it's a great recap. And uh, Scott, I'm not sure if you have anything else to add before we wrap. Cool. I think this is it, guys. Appreciate you all being here. I uh, will see you again tomorrow morning. And we'll see what happens between now and then. All good. All good, man. All good. All good. Yeah, appreciate the, the recap as well, uh, David and Nick. All right, guys. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.